You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. morning. Uh, Growing up, there was a very popular video game series I played in middle school and perhaps sometimes high school, uh, maybe college. But this game was called The Sims. It'll be up on the screen. (laughs) I guess most of us have heard of this. (laughs) But in this game, you make people called Sims. You pick their age, what they look like, what they like, and then you build a house with doors and with wallpaper with lamps, with uh, furniture, with windows, and then you, you plop your sims inside of your house. From there, you basically direct their moods. Uh, if they're happy or if they're not happy, you direct their desires. You can make them kiss somebody. You can make them sleep in. You can make them work out. You can make them pig out. They have different things that happen to them throughout the course of this game. They, they get jobs. They marry off. They have babies. Then they die off, and generation by generation by generation fills the house. Now, first... I really, really love this game. I remember building myself into this game. I made the character look like me and do the things I wanted to do to represent me, and it was pretty fun. But uh, then, like any 12-year-old, I noticed that I could be vicious in this game. After a few hours of uh, watching the dishes get dirty and clean again and uh, having kids and upgrading the house, the game got really, really boring. And so what does a 12-year-old do? Well, I found out that you could build a house and you could put the Sims inside of the house, but you could put no walls or rather no windows or doors in the house. You could lock the Sims in the the house, a siege, uh, so to speak. And so after a while, my Sims would go crazy. There was no food. The sewage would overwhelm the house. The house essentially turned into a little dungeon and eventually they would die off. Uh, this made the game uh, a little bit interesting, I guess, for 12-year-old me, perhaps the, the gateway drug into violent video games. But I mentioned all of this this morning because we are looking at one of the most famous passages in the Bible, where the God of power, where the God of order, the God of beauty finishes his creation and he makes man and woman in his image. That is, he makes a character that looks like him, that does the things he does, that represents them. He makes a beautiful home with good smells, with doors and windows, so to speak. And as time goes on, what we find, however, is that they get bored. They get vicious, and they unleash a hell on themselves. They distort, they stain, they fracture the image of God. But as we read the pages of Genesis, we find that the story doesn't end there. God does something, and all the chaos and all the friction and all the pain, God steps in. And He promises that one day He'll heal, He'll clean, He'll repair the image of God in each and every person. And this morning, if we know Him, if we're in Him, We know this reality in Jesus Christ, that his spirit lives in us, that though we don't image 
or reflect or represent God perfectly all the time, day by day, He is working in us and through us. He's working on restoring us, healing us, repairing us, making us fully human Again, the good news of the gospel this morning is that though we image God in broken ways, we still image God. And because of that, he's never stopped loving us or pursuing us. This morning, he is filled with grace, with mercy. And through Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, the perfect image of God, we can find our way back to God. We can find our way back to paradise, to the garden, so to speak. We can trust him and all that he's done for us and let him by his powerful spirit work within us to make us new day by day. Now, the main idea of this message is going to be up on the screen, and it's pretty simple, and it's this. We are made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God to reflect him, and to represent him. And through Jesus Christ, God is at work repairing and healing and amplifying that image in us. Now, my outline also is going to be up on the screen, and it's pretty straightforward, and it's this. Number one, the meaning of the image of God. That is, what is the image of God? Number two, the fracturing of the image of God. What happened to the image of God? Number three, the repairing of the image of God. How can you and I find healing in our image, the image of God? And number four, what is the importance of the image of God? What's the significance of the image of God? Now, if you're just joining us for the first time, uh, or you missed last week perhaps, we just started a series in the book of Genesis. Genesis is written by Moses and it's the first book in the Bible. Genesis opens up with the God of power, with the God of order, the God of beauty, and he's creating the universe. In his own way, through his own process, he easily makes reality. He didn't have to collect infinity stones. He's not sweating in the humidity. The picture is he's just talking. He's just willing things into existence. He creates time. He forms the sun and the moon, the sky and the stars, the birds and the trees, the sharks, the, che the cheetahs, and so forth. Now, the big question when we read Genesis, when we hear Genesis, that should pop into our minds is, how did Moses know all of this? How did he know all of this? This happened thousands and thousands of years, and for some of you, hundreds of thousands of years before the Exodus, before Moses looked at Pharaoh in the eyes and said, let my people go. How did he know? Christians have responded, particularly in two ways. And briefly, I just want to mention these before we dive into this text. I'm convinced of both of them. How did Moses know? Number one, inspiration. This is the idea that God was guiding him. That by the Spirit, God was guiding his words. The same God who miraculously met him in a burning bush who parted the Red Sea, who gave the Ten Commandments, who miraculously started the Hebrew nation, who eventually raises his son from the dead, who launches the church. This God was speaking to him, inspiring his words. Number two, he knew because of oral tradition. Oral traditions are basically stories passed down from generation to generation. And there is clearly oral tradition in the ancient world around two particular events, a creation 
and a flood. There are dozens and dozens of creation stories and some flood stories out there. And a lot of them are written before Genesis. The Epic of Gilgamesh, the Babylonian creation story, Egyptian stories. Moses would have certainly known these. He would have read these. He grew up in Egypt. He was educated in the royal courts of Pharaoh. But he would have known the Hebrew oral traditions as well. The mighty works of God passed down from generation to generation to generation. And so with both knowledge of oral tradition and experience encountering the powerful God, he writes Genesis. He writes very purposefully. He writes very poetically, but he writes to tell the truth. He sets the record straight. He says that there is one God, that this God is uncreated, that he is holy, and he created everything. And he created us in his image, which really leads us to our first point this morning, the meaning of the image of God. That is, what is the image of God? We pick up in Genesis 1, God or Elohim, that's a word that's both singular as well as plural at the same time, is speaking. This is a three-in-one God who is finishing his creation. And he says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God has just put the the fish, the birds, the animals down. Nemo and Crush and Dory are in the sea. Zazu and uh, Chicken Little are up in the sky. Simba's prowling in the mountain. And God says, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to do something distinct here now. I'm going to make the next thing in my image. Verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The passage continues, verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. That is, cultivate the earth. Bring out the possibilities and the potential of the earth. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. He goes on to say that he's given them food to eat, strawberries and berries, certainly not vegetables that that'll come with the fall of, of man. And then in verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now, to make something in your image, let's just get right to the point, means that it reflects you. It represents you. Think of a statue, the Heisman Trophy the stiff arm and the high knee, a portrait, think the Mona Lisa, an Italian noblewoman, or even a mirror. It represents the person who it's often reflecting. These things are meant to reflect or represent a person. And this is exactly what it means to be made in the image of God. It means we were made to reflect and represent God, and by doing so, bring life. We're like mirrors that were made to reflect and represent the Almighty. As a human being, we are different than the animals. We have something immaterial about us, something that lets us worship God, 
something that lets us know God. Mentally, we can write books. We can, we can paint a landscape. We can invent complex machines. We can name and tame our pets. We have a conscience. We can intuitively understand morals and morality. We can feel guilt. We can feel shame. We long for community. We join churches. We marry. We make friends. We commit to each other. It's because we are made in the image of God. We reflect and we represent God. God says, I've created human beings to reflect my glory, to reflect my goodness, my power, my kindness, my mercy, my wisdom, my love, my artistry, my engineering. They're mirrors. They reflect me. They represent me all over the world, and they bring life and hope. Now, what that means simply is this, that no matter who you are this morning, no matter what your record is, no matter how low you've gone, no matter what you've done in this life, no matter how high you've gone in this life, or if you've met all of your goals or you've not met all of your goals, every human being made in the image of God reflects and represents God. That means that every human being has significance and glory and value. Every single one of us has inherent worth and dignity because we have been made in his image. Now, there is a dark side to all of this, and it really leads us to our next point, the fracturing of the image of God, or what happened to the image of God, the fracturing of the image of God. If we look throughout history, it's filled with beauty, with innovation, with exploration, but it's also filled with selfishness, with greed, with so much pain. The picture of Genesis that it will go on to give us is that we are not in the garden anymore. Paradise has been lost. The image of God is still there in us, but it's been fractured. It's been marred. It's been distorted. The statue has graffiti all over it. The mirror is cracked from top to bottom. The portrait has been warped by water. They're struggling to reflect and represent. We're struggling to reflect and represent. We write books now and manifestos that break humanity. We invent machines that exterminate and abort. We can call morality often immorality and immorality morality. We can isolate in fear and pride. We break relationships and cut off friends. Brokenness is in the world. Sin is in us. The image of God has been marred. It's fractured. It's in need of repair. The bottom line is we've turned from God. We've gone our own way. And by doing so, we are starved for significance, for meaning, for glory. But God says we are made for glory. The Hebrew word there for glory has to do with significance, with weight. And every human being is built to want significance, to know we matter, to know we're seen. So much so if you've ever met somebody who says, I am not seen or I don't matter, the red alert system in our minds, in our hearts, intuitively starts to flash. You think this person needs help. They need love. We hunger for and need to matter, to be significant, to have glory. 
We were created to reflect and represent, which means we were meant to find our sense of beauty, our sense of significance, our sense of worth from his love, from his opinion of us, from what he says about us, through knowing him, by living out our lives, imaging him. But because the image is now fractured, we turn to other things. We look everywhere but God to find our significance and our worth. The human problem is we try to find our significance and our glory and our sense of beauty from other things now, isn't it? Things like other human beings, approval, professional accomplishments, our jobs, family, success. And the result is, is we crush ourselves. We crush others to get that significance and that glory. We break the image of God in ourselves. We try to make work something that can give us significance and value. We say, this job is how I'm important. This job and my performance in it is how I'm valuable, how I matter. But then all of a sudden, the work stops being about the work. It just becomes about us. And anything that goes wrong devastates. We become slaves to our work. Why? Because we're trying to find our significance and our value, our status and our significance in it. Or we try to make relationships or the relationship, the thing that gives us significance and value. We say this person's love for me is how I know I'm important and how I matter. But then the relationship stops being about them. It becomes about you. And anytime that person is down, anytime that person's upset with you, it shakes you. We become slaves to that relationship. Why? Because it's where we're trying to find our glory, our significance, our status, our value. We crave to matter. We crave significance. And we forget who we were made to represent, who we were made to reflect. And we run off and we look for glory and significance in things that are not secure, things that aren't forever, words and opinions that ultimately don't matter. The image is fractured. The relationship with God is marred. We need good news, which really brings us to our third point this morning, the repair of the image of God. As I mentioned, a lot like The Sims, just like I created a character that looked like me and represented me, so God has created characters that look like him to image him, to represent him, to reflect him, to be like him, to do what he does, to reflect all of his goodness. But in the gospel, in the message of the Bible, the greatest news ever told, God does something so much better. He doesn't just create more representations of himself that image him and reflect him. He doesn't just drop a law or a religious code down from heaven and say, there you go. He doesn't just give us 12 steps to better imaging God. He knows our need. He knows our desperation. And so he literally writes himself into the story. He takes on flesh and he dwells among us. He becomes like us in every way. He enters into this broken world. Hebrews 1 says it like this. Long ago at many times 
And in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. The Son is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint, the exact image of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Colossians adds this, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us from and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn son or king over all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. The gospel is the good news that God didn't leave broken imagers like you and I who've turned away to figure it out on our own. Instead, he wrote himself into the story. Jesus Christ came into this world and he is the perfect representation of God, the perfect reflection of God. He always found his significance and his worth and beauty by reflecting his father. He said, even said so much so, if you see me is to see the father. He serves and he loves. He's completely free from himself. He's not enslaved to an endless quest of looking for it and other things. And he uses as we see in his life, his mental abilities, his moral abilities, his social abilities to fully glorify God and to serve others. And then he goes to a cross. And on the cross, he gets shattered. He gets defaced and warped so that we could be forgiven, so that we might have relationship with God, so that the image of God in us might find repair and restoration and healing. And this morning, that same God invites each and every one of us to trust him, to believe in him, to know him, to be transformed by him. Second Corinthians says it like this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And this morning, not only does he invite us to know him and to trust him, but he invites any and all of us to apply his teachings, to build our lives on the solid rock that is Jesus Christ in order that we might reflect and represent him. Colossians puts the Christian life like this. You have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Jesus Christ this morning is filled with grace. He's filled with hospitality, with an open invitation for us to know him, to live day by day, putting off the old self and putting on the new self, to become fully human and live out our design, to reflect, to represent him by the power of the spirit that lives within us, to find our significance and our glory in him, the God who raised his son from the dead the one who has all the power, who has all the glory, who loves us and cares for us. Now with my remaining time, I just want to look at two other takeaways. And this really leads us to the fourth and final point this morning, the importance of 
the image of God? Or what really is the significance of God's image in us? All human beings are made in the image of God. The image of God is marred, but it's still there. And then the big takeaway, it can begin to be repaired through faith in Jesus Christ by the power of His Spirit. But what might be some other practical, important applications to this truth? So I really have two. Number one, everybody matters. Everybody matters. Being made in the image of God means we reflect and we represent God. That, doesn't, that means it, it doesn't matter what our net worth is, what our status is, the depth of our network, what we've done or haven't done. We all have inherent value and dignity because we're made in His image. What that means is that everybody matters. Everybody is worth something. The implication is simple. Treat people well. Treat people, the people you come across in this life, like they matter because they do. God says they do. People who don't look like you, people who don't talk like you, people who have different political opinions than you, people who are higher up than you, people who are lower down than you, treat everyone with grace, with reverence. No one deserves to be blown off, to be measured up, and given values based on what they might do for you or for I. They're important to God, and that's what matters. Everybody matters. Martin Luther King Jr. said it well. You see, the founding fathers were really influenced by the Bible. The whole concept of the Imago Dei, the image of God, is, is the idea that all men have something within them that God injected, an ability to have fellowship with God, and this gives him a uniqueness, a worth, a dignity. And we must never forget this as a nation, that there are no gradations in the image of God. Every man from a treble white to a base black is significant on God's keyboard precisely because every man is made in the image of God. Everybody matters. And number two, a final takeaway, global rights. I say global rights because there are universal truths that are accessible to all. And this is one of them. Real human rights ultimately don't come from a majority party or a vote. They come from God. They come from the fact that we are created in the image of God. Today there is a large swath of society that tries to say our rights come from our capabilities. That is, you have value if you have capacity to reason, to make your own decisions, to contribute to society. Because you have capabilities, you are worthy, and you have rights. But the reality of the image of God reminds us that rights come from our inherent worth and our dignity as imagers of God Almighty. Whether someone is a Christian or not doesn't negate that. Whether someone has limited mental capacities or advanced mental capacities doesn't negate that. The truth is that all are created in God's image and have inherent worth and dignity. This is a truth that empowered the church in the early days to make such a difference in the ancient world. They came into the Greek world. They came into the Roman world. And the Greeks and the Romans grounded rights and capacities as well. And in those societies, there was poverty. There was slavery. There was abortion. The elderly and the sick didn't have much utility and they were not valued. But the Christians came in and they said that everybody mattered. Rights don't come from capabilities. 
They come from being made in the image of God. And this changed the world. Likewise, the same is true for us this morning. The unborn, the elderly, the sick, the, mental hand, the mentally handicapped, orphans, the sanctity of life matters. They have value. They have worth. They're all worth fighting for because they all matter to God. Don't be deceived. We're not being courageous if we pretend this is not a reality. It's not kind or honorable or even sophisticated or a sign of, adult, of an adult if we compartmentalize this truth when we enter into the public square. God is God. Reality is reality. We are made in the image of God, and everybody matters. Everybody has dignity and inherent worth. Everybody matters. As we move to a time of the Lord's Supper, we remember Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, who said one day he will make all things new. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.